Functional Naturopath in Perth, WA. This is a place where you can expand your knowledge on how to optimise your health and realise your full potential. We'll have cutting edge information with expert guests and having lots of fun along the way. Get ready to be empowered and motivated to reach your higher vitality and find your ultimate potential. Let's go! Revital Health is a proud member of the Health Optimization Network. Health Optimization Medicine and Practice is a 501c3 nonprofit on a mission to educate doctors and practitioners on how to optimize for health rather than treating disease. If you're interested in becoming a practitioner or donating, head over to homehope.org. Revital Health Clinic is the first and only of its kind exclusive health optimization clinic in Australia with state-of-the-art technology, protocols and personalised healthcare, compounded medicines made specifically to your testing individualities. To find out more, head to revitalhealth.com.au. Today on the podcast, I get talking with Chloe Phelps. We talk high-performance breathwork. So Chloe aims to connect athletes to the full power of their breath by providing science-based breathwork techniques that enhance both physical and mental aspects of performance. And the Breath Society provides a training approach that the only one of its kind in that it focuses on a 360 degree approach to breath enhancement. From biomechanics and breathing patterns, retraining to CO2 tolerance, hypoxic, hypercapnic or low O2, high CO2 training, respiratory muscle training and nervous system regulation techniques, it delivers an unmatched blend of high performance and breathing science. Chloe is a physiotherapist and sports scientist based in Perth, WA, who has spent most part of the last 10 years gaining valuable experience in the sporting industry. She has worked for Sports Medicine Australia, was previously head trainer for the Fremantle Dockers in the AFL and is now the head physiotherapist for Claremont Football Club. So we chat why breath work as a physio and what inspired her. Chloe talks us through breathing and the performance benefits of doing it properly. Why athletes and breath work? what types of breathwork there are, the risks involved in breathwork and any myths, and what a course of sessions look like for her, and why we should learn how to breathe properly, even for the non-athlete, plus lots, lots more. This was a super fun podcast, and I was so happy to chat to Chloe, and I hope you all enjoy it too. Welcome, Chloe. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So um, today we are here to talk about breath. And uh, we're going to have some fun talking about it, I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) But performance and breath, yeah? (laughs) Yeah. So your focus is um, a lot with performance athletes and teaching them how to breathe properly. But I really want to dive deep with you and talk about what you do in that scenario because that's fascinating for me. Um, But firstly, let's talk a bit about you. And as as a physio, like how did you land in the breath work? Yes, I know. If you told me... I don't even know, you know, 15 years ago when I was trying to get into physio that I would end up where I am, I would have laughed. But so I did a, so a bit about my background, I did a sports science degree before mm-hmm. I studied physio. So Bachelor of Sports Science and then went in and studied physio for another four years, Bachelor of Physio. Mm-hmm. When I was, I was 19 at the time. So yeah, 2013, we was going into my second year of physio, mm-hmm. uh, of sports science, sorry. And it was just one thing after another, absolute shocker of a year. Um, started with, in like New Year's, one of our friends went to Bali, got methanol poisoning, mm-hmm. ended up having to turn off life support. And then mm-hmm. 
parents were divorcing, so home sort of didn't really feel like home either. It was mm. turbulent. Um, and then after that, it was literally one thing after another, and it was just an absolute shit show, to be honest. It was one of our, you know, there was like five friends of ours all passed away in these really sudden and unexpected circumstances within the next, you know, year and a bit. Um, yeah, synthetic LSD jumping off the balcony. There was mm. a suicide in there, a shooting accident. There was, gosh, what else? The, yeah, the, I won't even go into the details. But mm. so that and then <clears throat> obviously trying to juggle study, yeah. parents divorcing, being 19, a teenager, and so we were sort of forced to grow up very quickly and it was just one thing after another chaos. And so in true to me style, I just gripped with full force onto anything I could control and I literally was, <laughs> went home one day and I was like, all right, I'm redoing my bedroom, painted all the walls white, got new sheer blinds on my um, curtains and just made it this real tranquil space. And then yeah. and one day I was literally just like, oh, my gosh, I need to chill somehow. And so I just typed into YouTube guided meditation. Mm-hmm. And that was the first point that I sort of was connected to my breath um, through guided meditation. And literally from then on, I have, it's just been a non-negotiable in my life, whether it's meditation or just awareness of breath or, you know, breath enhancement training, whatever, in any form. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so then that was always part of my day from that point um, and just to wind down. And then I kind of carried that, that sort of was just always in the back of my mind with everything that we went learned through uni whether it was you know the exercise physiology stuff in the sports science degree Mm -hmm. um you know all the way you do cardio respiratory units um as part of the physio degree as well neuroscience is a massive interest of mine as well and it just kept coming back to it's like oh you know there's so much stuff there's so much in respiratory science that is applied to the not even the general population but people who are sick and ill Mm -hmm. and we learn about it in the context of pathology and we learn okay this person has xyz going on how can we you know when we use this bring people back from suboptimal Mm -hmm. to baseline Mm -hmm. and then i always just had a curiosity can we bring people from baseline up and i was working in sport as in my second year of sports science we had to do 150 hours crack yeah and that's where I started at Claremont Footy Club and I've been there ever since. Yeah. Um, so I was always working with athletes. That was sort of where the sports bias came into it. And mm-hmm. then, yeah, I just sort of, I just had this unshakable sort of passion and curiosity for it. And I just mm-hmm. dove so deep into the research and was just looking at it. And I was like, why has no one done this? This is such a gap, mm-hmm. particularly here in Australia. We're usually quite ahead of the curve in terms of sports science and yeah, sports absolutely. medicine and the, yeah, and so I figured I could literally just sit back and watch someone else build a dream and a passion that I wanted or I could just create it and that's where that's how that's where it started. Yeah. That's amazing. So I'm I'm fascinated in obviously you know training training and being a part of that athlete and performance um is not a big part of what I do obviously. I'm part of like that the, the health aspect. Yeah. Breathing is taken off in a self-exploration state and meditation state but I'm fascinated to where the research lies in optimal performance for athletes and breathing techniques so I guess maybe just like structure it out for me in that 
like where do you start with an athlete? So do you have like a baseline where you measure where they're at in terms of their, their breathing capacity and, and form and then working all the way through to then how do you measure the outcome on performance? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> there's lots to unpack in that. Yeah. The, I guess the best, it's probably, I'll refer to a couple of examples throughout. That's probably the best way to yeah. give context. But so in terms of, what it would look like working with an athlete. At the moment, it's very much referral-based, word, word of mouth, and the people who I have worked with from an athlete point of view, are uh, they have specific things going on that they want addressed, yeah. um, which we can talk about. And so what it would look like in terms of a session, I would go through subjectively, okay, what are you, what's going on? Mm-hmm. You know, are you breathless? Do you have breathlessness when you exercise that's not proportionate to the intensity of the exercise you're doing, for example? Yeah. Um, I like to look at it, my approach to everything, whether it's physio, breath society stuff, anything is always person first, athlete mm. second. And so the breath is so multi-directional in terms of its impact and it's not just one cause, one effect. It's yeah. so multimodal and so it has to be addressed in the same capacity. And so... It takes a while to sort of unpack, okay, what is driving, what's going on with you. I will always start with a breathing pattern assessment Mm -hmm. and that's something that I think from a physio point of view and also in sports science and high performance has been widely overlooked um, because the idea has just been that we, or we breathe, it's an an automatic function. We breathe how we breathe and that's it. Yes, (laughs) but... So there's a massive process of unlearning mm-hmm. when you pick up on breathing pattern disorders in athletes or your everyday person. Yeah. And that's always where I start. But it's always in a way that it becomes contextually relevant mm-hmm. to them because when you see it and map it out on a whiteboard or whatever it is, they can start to see, oh, my gosh, it's all, it is all related. Yeah. And I think that there are so many layers to a, to a person and mm-hmm. in particular to an athlete. Yeah that you can't just think, yeah, high performance is not just heavy squats and 2K time trials anymore. There is so much more to it. And I think we need to be a little bit more fluid in our approach to what is going on with an athlete. I digress slightly, but... (laughs) It's important, important though, because I digress in again. I think when you're looking at an athlete, they're a person in high performance, they're they're pushing their body to the max. So they really need that multimodal multimodal approach because they're not going to get everything from, you know, well, even we don't live in optimal environment, even that we're not pushing our bodies to the max and they are. So of course they're going to need more. Yes, exactly. And they're, you know, athletes and probably defence personnel are the two people who are so who they they really benefit from the one percenters because every other thing is is so is already ticked off you know it's like i'm not going to go and take xyz supplements if i'm not eating well i'm not exercising and all of the other lifestyle factors aren't in place there's no point in doing that it's not a it's not a quick fix but it is something that can once you know how to use your breath and to its fullest potential you can literally apply it to any aspect of your training Mm -hmm. which is why I love it so much because once they know how to use it and understand why we do certain things then they can just apply it to anything and I don't need to be there yeah but the so breathing pattern assessment is always what I would look at and what that sort of entails is okay take your deepest breath for me Mm -hmm. 
and nine times out of ten, it will look like this. <laughs> or shoulders up. Yeah, yeah, shoulders up, chest is out, and most of the time it looks like this. <laughs> but and so and that is mouth it, open yeah chest. mouth open yeah. chest out shoulders up and so that is the first process of yeah. education and unlearning when like, you do that now like i'm like i didn't even get a breath when i do that yes exactly like, it's just here it's in here. your throat it's a throat yes. breath yeah exactly <laughs> and, and you know and people say oh barely breath and all of that stuff and yes it's so important but you actually need to get them in front of a mirror and show them what that looks like. And I very often will use the analogy of a, like if you imagine I had two, I should have bought balloons. If you imagine I had two balloons blown up, yeah. looking like that, yeah. and I put water in them, mm. yeah, and then just keep a broccoli or an upside-down tree in your mind as well, yeah. what that will look like. And so if you imagine the two balloons are our lungs and the water in the balloons is the blood, yeah, yeah. yeah. where does the water sit? Mm. at the bottom bottom. yeah so what good is it to us we know that we in order we need for gas exchange to take place we need the air that we inhale to meet with blood yeah to then be transferred to the body tissues whatever yeah so what good is it to us to get our air here when our blood is sitting in the lower lobes of your lungs and that will change based on your body position yeah if i'm laying in what on my side in one side that it's going to change and if I am upside down and heads down it's going to change but <laughs> so that's sort of the first process that I would go through and show them why and that's at rest that's sort of one part of it and then I tell you what I have sat and part of the reason why I was so interested in it is I as a sports trainer mm. so you sit around the field in whatever you're doing so um at Claremont Football Club in the Waffle and at the Dockers in the AFL mm. I have sat on the sideline of so many football games <laughs> and had nothing to do but either wait for someone to be injured or sit there and analyze how they move and watch how they breathe and it's one thing you know you can be the best breather in the world at rest but when you are moving it's so different yeah which is something that we'll go into so observing that whether it's looking at videos of them playing or in their sport or yeah. whatever you can get a good gauge of it even just if they're talking mm. eating things like that you can mm. see sort of where the breath goes and how things change um yeah so starting with a breathing pattern assessment pair that with okay what subjectively have you found what are their goals what are they struggling with yeah all of that yeah and that will guide the rest of the assessments and things that i do and it'll be very specific and individualized based on yeah. the person if i'm working with so for example a big wave surfer pro bodyboarder whoever water-based sport big waves lots of potential for scenarios where you're not going to have a whole lot of oxygen yeah and you want to be prepared for it so with someone like that we'd break down the sport break down the demands of it and work out okay what do we need to expose your body to in order to be best prepared for worst case scenario yeah or to be able to you know in a footballer sense to be able to repeat sprint yeah. with minimal recovery and repeat it over and over again to the absolute best of your ability yeah. where in a way that the breath will not limit you mm. and so for say a big wave surfer i would then go through the breathing pattern assessment and then i would get them i'd hook them up to some equipment and stuff that i've got i think there's two people in wa that have it myself one of them and another physio who's in the hills um and get objective measures so mm. with this you breathe in through a um you breathe in through a 
device. Yeah, and it will give real-time feedback on a screen of each breath. And so it's not VO2 max, no? No, no. Yeah, yeah, so different to VO2 yeah. max, which I will touch on because mm. sometimes <laughs> in some things it's relevant and it can be impacted and in others it can't. But the so with that, that will look at respiratory muscle strength. So literally, like, if you imagine just doing a 1RM squat yep. test, is yep. that for your breathing, the muscles we use to breathe? Mm. It will it will look at peak inspiratory flow, how much air you can get in one second, yep. um, power and lung volume in terms of litres per second. And that's inspiratory, so on the in-breath, so knowing that the out-breath is generally passive unless you're exercising at high intensity. Yeah. The, and so for, you know, if... And so basically then that's what we work on is with a big wave surfer, okay, you need to be able to get as much air in in one breath mm. as quickly and as full as you can. And so that's what we test and that's then what we train and that's how we then measure success. Mm-hmm. Obviously things, you know, have their perceived breathlessness is a massive one. Yeah. There's actually the best evidence in terms of respiratory muscle training, so mm-hmm. that device-assisted loading up the in-breath so breathing in through a resistance they there are a few mechanisms of change and of benefit but the biggest one like the biggest change that athletes will note mm-hmm. is a reduced level of perceived breathlessness in yeah. terms of because yeah, that's just trying activity. to that's just training at a higher load mm-hmm. so they're working at a higher percentage of needing the breath so then when they don't have that yeah. on then anything's going to be easier than that right yeah and so yeah. you work at a um yeah, so you're basically essentially working at a higher intensity at a lower maximum. Yeah, effort. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they have a lot of the the um, you know, biohackers as such are, are using those across exercise as well yes. to maximize their exercise mm-hmm. potential. With the, so those masks, so they're sort of like the yeah, like those training masks. Yeah, 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 masks. yeah. Sometimes I have an issue with them, and sometimes I don't. And I think it just comes down to okay, you need to know exactly what you're training, what you're doing. Don't necessarily think that you're you're simulating hypoxic training or low oxygen because what you're actually doing is just exhaling you're you're working more on co2 tolerance in that instance right yeah um which we can certainly go into and that's sort of yeah so yeah coming back to the that's the big wave surfer stuff with that um with people like that you do things like panic training you know Mm. being calm underwater under pressure Um, the more you fight against, so the more you're working, you've got no air, you're underwater, the more you're tossing, turning, trying to get up for air, the more CO2 is rising in you as a metabolic byproduct to build up. Yeah. And then the more breathless you feel, the more panicked you feel Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. the faster you will actually legitimately run out of air. Yeah. Yeah. Catch a good wave so far then in a normal not normal. Do you guys surface is still normal? But, so that's sort <laughs> of your water. Right? <laughs> yeah. no, no. And then in, some, whoops, in someone who is a land-based athlete, um, so I've got a Paralympian that I work with and he was referred to me by one of the leading sports doctors in Perth mm. and they had tried everything between, you know, the whole team that was managing him from the guys at WAFE, guys at AAS or Try Australia, um, medical he the athlete is a dietitian himself so from a dietetics point of view everything was sort of and they had you know they tried jabbing this thing everything he was so limited by these stitches that he would get when he competes Mm. that yeah so 
referred to me by this sports doc. Keeping them under stitch is a, is a set of is a symptom. It's not the diagnosis. So we don't really know what it is and nor could they replicate it ever in his training. So whether it had something to do with that sort of call it my sympathetic drive in a competition or what, yeah. we're not really sure. But in, so Tokyo Olympics, there, um, he was, he thinks that it literally stayed there for a couple of weeks post. And if you imagine, if you've ever had a calf cramp that stays and you're yeah. sore, yeah. similar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so similar in, in nature. But so I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I've got, you know, this is a high-level athlete. Yeah. Here's me doing some hippy-dippy thing that, you know, no, no one ever right. knows about yet. Probably thinking, oh, my God, what are you? What are you doing to me? But <laughs> so with him, we were very specific with what mm. we did and how we measured it, every test of it, and how it impacted how we, how I, I guess, made it relevant for his sport. And so with him, yeah. again, went through all the breathing pattern stuff, which is that is nine times out of ten such a massive part of the issue in itself. And so Absolutely. whether you're running on a bike, single triathlete, is a triathlete, whatever position you're in, breathing yeah. patterns are massive, but. And then I literally just simulated, I got some vision of him running, looked at photos of him competing, and I was like, all right, physio hat on, let's look at his biomechanics. And in, so we measured, basically when you look at what he, how he ran, you would see this, when he had one foot forward, so that foot strike, if you imagine mm-hmm. running at that point, there was this massive thoracic twist rotation, yeah, mm-hmm. which was disproportionate to how, to his level of impairment as a Paralympian. Yeah. So that in itself could use work. And I guess from a breathwork point of view, the diaphragm has two roles mm. in exercise when we're moving. It's one of them is breathing and that will always win. That will always predominate. Yeah. And one of them is trunk stability. Yeah. And if you imagine someone trying to breathe and in a triathlon, mm who is getting this massive thoracic rotation mm. each step or each left heel strike, yeah. that's in itself is going to go a long way to fatiguing the diaphragm early from a muscle point of view, yeah. just like any other muscle. And hence, you know, whatever that means for his symptoms, we weren't sure, but that's what sort of my theory was. So that, and that's how we tested it. So I literally mm. put back foot up, left foot forward, simulating left heel strike, retested right heel strike, bike position, which got him on a bike testing it and then just normal upright standing. Yep. And it was in that left heel strike position, his his testing was down. Wow. And so from that point, we basically, I got him, <clears throat> I, the guys are waste have been unreal in terms of him implementing the training that I've set, but we just started working on training the diaphragm in both of its roles. So mm. training him under resistance. So breathing in, it's hard for him to breathe in against this little, um, power breath device while doing trunk stability exercises so counter rotation stuff yeah um and essentially just exposing it to the dual role that it has wow incredible and then he yeah he just had is at the world champs recently a couple of months ago he yeah he pbs ran the best he has i think he placed fourth in the biggest best that he has wow. which is yeah it was awesome and no symptoms which was the best and no symptoms yeah no symptoms. that's incredible yeah so I can't claim all of that, but I will. Like, <laughs> I see stitches, and I'm just always like, "All right, kids, hands up, yeah. hands up, on top of your head." Yeah. that's all yeah. I've got. I know, I know. I'm actually, I focus. I even get them sometimes if I'm 
obviously I'm not mouth breathing if I'm going for a close walk and half the time if I get to a hill and I'm trying so, so hard to nose breathe and all of a sudden I've got one I'm like oh god <laughs> what have I given them to do help me <laughs> yeah. well every time I eat and then I go for a walk or something yeah. and I'm like yeah diaphragm's on the load so. yeah <laughs> yeah something too big yeah but even and it was always the interesting part with him was that it was only ever in the transition from the bike to the run Right. And so if you think about it from a biomechanical point of view, yeah, you're so you're in this position, yeah. your diaphragm can't descend and you don't have that, yeah. you know. The fascial lockdown, right? Because mm. so, you're in that fascial frontal. Yeah. And so, and that was interesting. It was sort of like, okay, well, as much as you can in the lead up to that transition off the bike, bring your attention to your breath and try to get your breathing Mm. low and then the only time and this was recently the only time we could ever and i could ever bring his symptoms on in testing mm. was when i started to progress it and get him literally forward leaning in so one of his exercises now is this mm. and in spiritually loaded wow. so forward you know oh, yeah wrapped around yeah or so sitting forward, forward. Yeah. yeah and literally within four breaths of symptoms he had he felt them mm. so yeah it's just an interesting and you know, it's not, that's not to say that that will benefit everyone, but for him, yeah, we just made it as yeah. specific as we could and yeah. it's had its, yeah, and it's shown massive benefit, which that's is incredible. Unreal. Yeah. So, you know, with, with us breathing properly, I think that's going to, obviously, as you say, it helps everyone. So we all yeah. need the proper <clears throat> biomechanics in our body and like postural biomechanics plus those under load, you know, when you're talking the performance. So yeah. it's the daily living plus the performance and optimising all of that with breathing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And from a... um. So from, uh, I guess, how I like to look at it, and like I said before, in terms of it's so multimodal, you can't really, you need to address, mm. you don't want to address one aspect of breathing at the expense of another, okay. which is where it's sort of, um, you've basically got the biomechanical side of it, which mm-hmm. is the breathing patterns, how your body is actually moving, postural stuff, yeah, all of that, which I love naturally having a physio background. Yeah, You've got the biological or the physiological yeah. side of things which yeah. is your oxygen your carbon dioxide mm-hmm. your the what's happening from a metabolic point of view yeah um co2 tolerance comes in there which we can go through and then you've got the psychological side yeah. of it as well yeah and so as, as in anxiety stress yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and so and they all impact each other yeah so if i'm yeah and so and there's so much to that and Mm. it's yeah and it's not always it's not even like a cycle it's literally just that this can happen and it doesn't mean that it's always chronic either which makes it difficult because it can be like with say anxiety for example you can have state anxiety based on what your the circumstances now yeah me currently (laughs) (laughs) you can have trait anxiety exactly this position to higher anxiety yeah but because i can imagine like there'd be so many athletes that naturally your your adrenaline's up you're about to race you've got anxiety and you've got stress anxiety you need to know how to deal with that so you doesn't impede your breathing and performance yeah Hmm. exactly and there's no way and i you know i pick my battles and things that are relevant individually to someone may not be relevant to another person and you know working with a football team at claremont they absolutely know that i (laughs) you know they know that big on nasal breathing and all of that stuff but i'm certainly not going to sit there and as they come off the bench and tell them oh my gosh you should breathe you should be breathing through your nose yeah this is how you recover yeah it 
I couldn't care less how they're breathing. If they want to learn about it and want to know it, they know it went They will come in. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that's a good um, point to go into now, like the different types of techniques and in terms of, so the benefits of nasal breathing. Yes. breathing. And then maybe we go into like the CO2 tolerance mm -hmm. and even the VO2 max. I mean, we just explained to me <laughs> yes. a little bit more about that. Yes. Because I know about it, but I don't know the relevance, you know, how where it all fits. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we'll start there because nasal breathing yeah. is a big one that we've already had sort of podcasts on in the past. Yes. Um, I try and get my kids to do it just for the yeah. structure of their um, jawline and, you know, yes. health of their their development as such. Yeah. Um, and then the nitric oxide component, which we talk about for men. So we like to tell them to do nasal breathing because of testosterone and yeah. blood flow. Yeah, <laughs> I know. That's my, that's my... <laughs> You just get the book line and sink out when yeah, you tell people yeah. nitric oxide is the... Yeah, you're like, that's how you get a good <laughs> yeah. erection. So yeah. that's all we need to know. Nasal breathe yeah. to get a good erection, all right, guys? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, what? Yeah. what do I have to do? <laughs> I don't even need my mouth anymore. <laughs> yeah. No mouth anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, okay. So, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> I cleared it for you with the erection part, yeah. so there you go. Yeah. Say whatever you want. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So nasal breathing, and I know you have had Patrick McKeown on this podcast previously. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've done his advanced oxygen advantage instructor training, which was fantastic. Yeah. Um, have you read Breath by James Nestor? I have portions of it. I haven't yeah. read it um, top, to, top to end. Yeah. I never do with any book. <laughs> if I was on my death, I've read it three times now. Yeah. If I was on my deathbed and somehow I had the capacity to tell the whole entire world one message, it would be read that book. It is yeah. life-changing. Yeah. Every yeah. time I read it, I learn something yeah. different and it just blows my mind. Yeah. So I love it. Thank you, James Nestor. I'm trying to get him on. Yeah, yeah. And thank you, you for your <laughs> yeah. yeah, his work is phenomenal. Um, where was I? I digress again. Uh, nasal <laughs> breathing. Yes, so benefits of nasal breathing, you inhale as we sort of touched on. So nitric oxide, it's a gas formed in the paranasal sinuses of humans. It's a very, very potent vasodilator. So mm -hmm. by vasodilator, opens the blood vessels. Mm -hmm. More open blood vessels means increased blood flow. Better erection. <laughs> but so, bonus. Yeah, bonus, bonus. <laughs> yeah. And so really potent vasodilator. So automatically just that alone, breathing in through your nose, you have performance benefit in terms of blood flow, yeah. breathing through your nose as opposed to your mouth. That yeah. said... If someone is already trained to breathe through their nose when they're exercising, I will extremely rarely, if ever, try to tell them to breathe through the, you know, train them into breathing only through their nose. Yeah. Yes, it's more efficient, but to be honest, the difficulty of actually getting them to unlearn and then relearn mm. is not worth the benefit yeah. that they'll get. I've tried to run with only breathing through my <laughs> <Yeah>. nose. <laughs> it's so hard. I know. Yeah, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Awful. I feel like you're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so functions of the nose, warms, humidifies the air, cleans the air. Nitric oxide also has a, um, like an antibacterial antiviral effect. Mm. So it cleans the air, mm. um, travels into the lungs, as you mentioned with your kids. So if you breathe through your nose now, the pressure of the tongue at the top of the mouth helps to form the shape of the palate. Yeah. If you look at, and this, um, James Nestor touches on, this in his book really well but you look at the you know the native american indian tribes and things and any photo any painting or anything they just have the most perfect jaw structure yeah perfect dentation 
partly for the, from the food that they eat in terms Absolutely. of the chewing, mm. but also because from a cultural point of view, they so highly value nasal breathing mm. to the point that their the mums will literally stand over the baby when it sleeps, and if it starts opening its mouth, they'll just gently close its lips. So, yeah. and I found that really interesting. Mm. Um, so facial structure, the nitric oxide. It also slows, if you think about the size of the airway of the nose, it's a lot smaller, so it slows the speed of the inhale. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes breath that, which makes breathing more efficient. So yeah. the slower the breath, the more you don't lose as much in terms of dead space. So like I said before with the balloons, mm. if you're constantly breathing up here, up top, yeah. You're essentially losing all of this mm. and it's similar with ent- the relevance of that in athletes it's probably more refers to sort of the hyperventilation and over breathing yeah. is that if you in if if they're not breathing in line with the t- demands of what they're doing from yeah. a metabolic point of view so they're running and they're over breathing mm. <laughs> essentially you your exhale is your exhale is not as long as your inhale. So all of a sudden you're inhaling and you exhale, but only you're only emptying your lungs to say here. And then you inhale again and then you exhale, but it only comes to here. And so you inhale and then you exhale and all of a sudden you're really inflated. You're forced mm-hmm. to breathe yeah. up here. Yeah. And you've got all of this stagnant air left in your lungs that, as we know, is full of carbon dioxide. Yeah. So that's going to make you more hungry for air. That's mm. CO2 is our main driver to breathe. Yeah. So you're full of stagnant air that's really rich in CO2. So it's driving messages to your brain. I need more air. I need more air. So you're increasing your breathing rate and you've got this much to work with mm. and it's extremely inefficient. And then you're using all of your accessory muscles. Your diaphragm isn't the being the primary breathing muscle. Mm. Um, and those muscles are small. So from a musculoskeletal point of view, they're going to fatigue easily and it's extremely inefficient. Yeah. Um, VO2 max, you mentioned. Mm. I do have a sports science degree, but I also try not to get hung up on certain types of tests. And I think that I sort of recognise we're trained in science and everything it has to be objective in its approach and whatnot. Mm. But we do hang our hat on VO2 max a lot as a sports science profession. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably more so just because that's Feel always been... Feel away. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there are a few ways that breath comes into it. One of the things with the, the Patrick Hewitt, actually, I don't know if he had touched on it when you spoke to him, but so from a... He's going now, full flip, we've got hormonal here. Mm. You, with breath holds or hypoxic training, altitude training, anything like that. The whole aim of it is to put yourself, say, at high altitude or in a low oxygen environment state and your body goes, oh, shit, I need more oxygen. I can't get it here, so I need more ability to carry and transfer what what I'm getting. Mm. And so with that, so you then, so with repeat breath holds, often exhalation, Mm -hmm. so exposing the body to a hypoxic stress, we basically get hormonal changes that take place whereby the body will produce more red blood cells. Yeah. And so stimulated by the bone marrow, they though take three or four days to mature those little baby red blood cells. So from a performance point of view, 
if you say are doing these strong breath holds or breath hold training and we can go into what it would actually look like from a week to week mm. athlete whatever you there's no point doing strong breath holds on a Sunday when you're playing on a Saturday, really knowing that these changes, they sort of, okay, you do them three to four days before a competition, take X amount of time for those new little red blood cells to mature and be fully functional in the bloodstream. And with increased red blood cell. Yes. Which is is where you get your increases in there too much. And so from that point of view, you can increase VO2 max, but I'm not convinced on the data as such in terms of VO2 max. Nor do I think that we need to hang our hat on it from a performance point of view because using certain types of breath enhancement training, Mm -hmm. i.e. the respiratory muscle training stuff, other modes, you can still benefit performance without having to even look at VO2 max. VO2 max is just your body's ability to actually transport and use oxygen. Oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where they focus on, say, in the cycling realm, they will focus on with the the APO um, to increase the amount of red blood cells because, like, your altitude training. Yeah. But with your breath work, well, what we're trying to talk about here, you're actually optimising the environment where your body can utilise and and, um, bring in the oxygen in a much more efficient way so you're performing better. So you don't even have to worry about that. And that's an added benefit on the side if that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And with the, um, so from a, from the other end in terms of the respiratory muscle training, so that breathing against yeah. resistance, we train every single other muscle in our body for with performance gains in mind. And the thought was always, okay, we don't need to, our respiratory muscles, we don't need to train because we train them at a high enough intensity when we're, yeah. running around or training whatever we're doing to a certain extent yes but the only level of intensity that is enough to actually cause enough of a stimulus stimulus to adapt mm. and strengthen those muscles yeah you can't maintain by exercise no. because it's too high of an intensity which yeah. means that you actually have to add load mm. um and it just baffles me that it's never like I don't know, it just seems like I've never met anyone else in Perth or in yeah. it ever. Had thought about that. that but, had, and, now, and now you say that, it makes so much sense. Yes. But neither had I thought yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah. You know, you train your heart and all those sorts mm-hmm. of things. But again, when you're training muscles under load, like we do with the BFR bands or you do in, yeah. in a loaded scenario, you're actually increasing the muscle strength because you're loading it up more. Well, you're yeah. never going to get that from going for a run or doing squats. No, exactly. You're going to get way more load. Mm-hmm. It makes sense from a lens perspective. Yeah. And we train everything so specifically in terms of every other system, and this goes back to the layers of a human and an athlete. Mm. We train every other system. So cardiovascularly, okay, run faster, harder, longer, you become more cardiovascularly optimized you try you kick up from a neuroscience point of view you kick a ball a million times or skill acquisition or whatever it is we Mm. do certain skills to be better at them and you do do them a million times and then you become better at it yeah what the breathing just hasn't even you know strength training musculoskeletal stuff we do why you know we're so big on squats and strength training yes obviously that has its place in high performance but why have we always why have we missed the breath if we're taking looking at from a systems-based approach i think it's just something that's been massively missed and with fatigue so it's called a um, they refer to it as a metabo reflex yeah our breathing is the we will not survive without it yeah so it will always come first first yeah always 
And in terms of the whole body oxygenation, our diaphragm and inspiratory muscles take about 15% of our total blood flow mm. under exercise. What you get when you're exercising, as those respiratory muscles start to fatigue, they start to demand more oxygen. So our lungs, yeah. our respiratory muscles will start to steal blood from the working limbs, whether it's mm. arms or legs. Mm. So you get this, not premature fatigue, but that contributes to sensations of fatigue. Yeah. So essentially exactly like what you would do with squatting or any other form of training, mm. you're essentially delaying the onset of that metabolic so you can work at a higher intensity for longer with less perceived effort or perceived purpose. Interesting. Yeah. We had a boxer come in the other day and I'm a little bit off topic, but he he's an MMA fighter and he yeah. said to me, he come he's been coming into the hyperbaric chamber. Yeah. And I'm just thinking from an oxygen perspective. And he was running on the treadmill and he can never normally do more than 30 minutes. Yeah. And he came in the other night and said to me that he's now he could now do 80 minutes the other night and he didn't put have to put hardly any effort in. He was just running and running and running and didn't mm-hmm. even notice it. So I'm just wondering in terms of the pressure involved with that oxygen saturation, it's just building up more stamina in the ability of the tissues to take on the oxygen or hold the oxygen. I'm not sure. But that was something yeah. I wanted to just focus on in terms of, you know, the performance-based stuff. You can yeah. really get more benefit, obviously, out of your breathing. Yes. But also you've got, yeah, more potential to be able to get to a point where you don't even know that you're doing it. Exactly. Like it's that non-fatigue. It's that, like, lack of effort. But I've actually built this before. I put the effort in before. Yes. And now I'm doing this and it's the non-effort. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's the, yeah. And it goes into every form of training. And like I said, with skill-based training, mm. like very rarely, if ever, would I know an athlete to actually consciously think this is how I'm kicking a ball yeah. in competition. Automatic. Ever. Yeah. It's automatic. Mm. And because they have, like you say, they've done that. They've trained mm. it. It's yeah. now automatic and so why aren't you doing the breathing training? So yeah. then make it easier. Yeah, yeah exactly. makes sense. I know. It makes total sense. It does, doesn't it? There was something I was just going to say in terms of the, with the the other sort of part of it that's interesting in terms of the CO2 tolerance stuff. So as I mentioned before, CO2 tolerance is our main, that is the main stimulus to our brain that we need to increase our breathing. Mm. So naturally, everything else aside, if we can increase our tolerance to rising levels of carbon dioxide, yeah, so carbon dioxide's rising, my brain's going, shit, I need to breathe, I need to breathe, I need to breathe. Yeah. So if we can increase our tolerance to rising levels of, of carbon dioxide before that sort of ventilatory breathing response kicks in, yeah. that to me is a no-brainer. Is that also a no-brainer right. to you? Yeah. So is that the holotropic? No. The, so that's the CO2 tolerance stuff. Okay. Yeah. Right. And with the CO2 tolerance stuff, in terms of oxygen delivery and becoming more efficient, you, and this is going to get real sciencey, but bear with me, the bore effect. <laughs> it's called the bore effect. And basically, it was 1904, it was discovered, Christian Boy's Danish biochemist, whatever he was. It looks at the relationship between oxygen and carbon dioxide and gas exchange and what actually happens from hemoglobin, the relationship between hemoglobin and releasing oxygen to the tissues. Yeah. To get, we. <laughs> You think take a big breath, you're getting more oxygen, and it's absolutely not necessarily the case. Mm. Your body, your red blood cell, will only actually release oxygen from its little red blood cell, from the hemoglobin, to the tissue in the presence of a high enough level of carbon dioxide. Mm. So when, again, going back to the over-breathing, if I'm breathing way too much when I'm running and I'm... (sighs) 
I'm offloading a hell of a lot of carbon dioxide. Yeah. yeah. So the signaling's not there. Yeah. So then <laughs> in that instance, my my red blood cells are actually just holding on to oxygen. So then there's not as much oxygen getting delivered to the tissues. Yeah. And then obviously again, fatigue, cramping, whatever it is. Yeah. Reduced performance. So, so much sense. Like so much sense. I know, I know. And it's so wild that when yeah, and all of these little light bulb moments they just kept coming to me. I was like, yeah, what? what? Yeah. The more I just went on this big bend of breathing, I was like, hang on, it makes so much sense. But wow. yeah, so there's so much to it. And I think that the big part with athletes is that, and Tasha, I think you mentioned this last time. We have high performance environments. Yeah. They're very male dominant at the moment, and that is fine. That's just the nature of it at this point. But it, in where we are now, 2022, I don't necessarily think that athletes in professional sporting environments need another dominant hierarchical figure yeah. telling them to lift heavier, do this, do that, do this. Yeah. We need to be, in my opinion, more fluid with our approach. And sometimes you can have more impact yeah. being gentler and kinder and looking at it from different points of view. And yeah always one model doesn't work you know and the old models haven't been working to the best and you always have to shift and change things to get progression in any industry right yeah exactly and you know in the and science does it takes so long to catch up and in high performance environments naturally they're very skeptical we're trained to be so science and evidence-based which this is but we have to look at the trends in where things are going if you look at meditation or pilates or anything 10 years ago Mm. And it was nothing. It was nowhere in high performance, whereas now it's in every single high performance environment. But I think that then, and in terms of the work that I do and my approach to it, it's very much education-based because I think that when athletes have, when they know and, you know, less about just being told what to do, rather being told why we're doing it or why to do it, why it's beneficial to them, then when they know it's almost, it just gives them choice. They can choose whether it's individually relevant to them. Yeah. And if it's individually re- relevant to them, then all of a sudden the motivation comes from being external Huge. to being internal. Absolutely. And that, I think, is where you drive consistent and lasting change in Absolutely. athletes and people in, in general. Mm. Um, just the yeah. things that you've said today, you know, just mm. the things that you've made apparent in those very simple ways they are. They're just like, oh, well, of course. Like, yeah. why wouldn't you want that? Yeah. So, well, what do we need to do? Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> well, yeah, let's yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Out the breath society. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the breath society. <laughs> yes. But. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Um, yes. And everyone, Tash is here. Say hi, Tash. Sorry, Tash. Hi, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I would be here. Tash is observing us today, yeah. um, helping us out. So, all right, that is fantastic. Now, I do want to go through what a course of sessions look like with you yeah. week by week. Yeah. But firstly, let's differentiate between different breathwork because everyone has heard of all the breathworks that are out there. Yeah. So we're talking performance-based breathwork, yeah. breathwork here, and we've outlined that real well. Yeah. There's um, the holotropic, which I mentioned before. Yeah. Now, can you talk us through a bit about <laughs> that, what that is? Yes. And so there are so many forms of breathwork, and yeah. I'm yeah. all about it, and I love it, and there is a place for all of them. Mm-hmm. In, I'm sure that there would be a place for all of them somewhere. Yeah. The, and so I don't know the specific details of certain 
well, I do, but not as science is. I've just gone through everything else. But <laughs> there, so holotropic breathwork and same with Tumo breathwork, Wim Hof to an extent, mm-hmm. all of that, those types whereby you're laying down or sitting down and you're breathing in excess. It's essentially controlled hyperventilation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's where, you know, that's where all the healing type stuff comes in, that mm-hmm. trauma release and everything where essentially you cause a flood release basically of hormones, okay. happy hormones. Yeah. Those, the reason why people sort of cry and have these in very interesting mm. responses when they do this type of breathing is generally because those same hormones are responsible for our body recognising uh, a state of safety. Mm. And so all of a sudden then, okay, we're safe to then feel. Okay. That's why we sort of have mm. those. That's why you can see, you know, you see those big crazy videos of people yeah. crying. And crying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, don't get me wrong, I've absolutely those experiences meg sanderson shout out to you at school of breath phenomenal phenomenal breathwork facilitator um she was i hope she doesn't mind me telling this story i'm not sure i'm not sure if i've told you this story before but how i was (laughs) i have been so big into meditation for so long yeah i hadn't really thought about breathwork at this point um and i was seeing her for i was treating her from a physio point of view for her hip she was like i'll give you free breathwork sessions what's that what is your bloody breath work going to do for me? <laughs> oh, I do meditation all the time. What could that give me that this won't? And then it's just like, yeah, I've got to, you know, message me, message me, we'll do a session. Mm. I was like, okay, close, be open-minded, just go and do it. <laughs> Fucking my God. It was the most, and every time I've seen her since, they are the most phenomenal uh, sessions. Yeah. They, I was... <laughs> I just remember I was got there. I went. It was, she was working at Centre Space mm-hmm. at the time. Got there. I laid on the. <laughs> I laid on this bed in this beautiful room. She put blanket on me. And she was like, "Okay, close." So this is some of the things that people feel. Sometimes people will feel tingly in their hands or their face. Sometimes people will get um can get really emotional. You can feel like you're floating or all these things. And I was like, "Yeah, whatever. Not going to happen to me." <laughs> so she starts guiding me through this thing. This probably 15, 10, 15 minutes in, this whole quadrant of my face, it felt like a tattoo gun was under my skin. It was so tingly, I can't even put it into words. Then my hands start coming up like this and I just felt like my hands were about to fall off. They're coming up and I'm not really sure what's happening. <laughs> my kneecaps, I just remember, I felt so much energy. At one point she sort of was giving tactile input on my legs. Mm. I just remember so much energy underneath my kneecaps. I felt like they were going to shoot off into the sky. And then, and then my perception of my whole body was so warped. I felt like my ear was stuck on my shoulder. So I was in my mind like this, but I hadn't moved. I felt like my feet were floating up, but then just didn't stop. So my perception of my legs were that my leg was so severe. Was it a right angle the wrong way? What's happening? I got in hysterical giggles halfway through it because it was so overwhelming. Mm. Giggling hysterically, yeah, you should just guide you back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're crying because I had no idea what was happening. And then she guides you back, guides me back to my breath. You know, coming into it, drops you into a little meditation at the end, brings you out of it, and I bawled my eyes out. And it was just like, and I don't even know. I was, wow. yeah, phenomenal, wow. phenomenal. They're so powerful. Yeah. 
So thank you, Meg, <laughs> for that. But yeah, yeah. the physiology, in, in, yeah. like that's where I was interested in, yeah. in that, like, like how that does it to you in yeah. such an intense way. Yeah. It's incredible. Do you think, and, so, and there's just so much noise out there, I think, at the moment with, with lots of things, with yeah. the rise of social media and all of that. But one thing in terms of the breathwork stuff is a lot of people will say in those type of sessions, well, you're hyper-oxygenating your brain. Yeah. You're... You know, you're getting so much oxygen to your brain. Yeah, you're actually you're doing the complete opposite. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. I was like, is there? And this is where our myth was going to come in. Yeah, particularly around this type of breathing. Yeah, are we getting any oxygen deprivation damage in our brain from doing this type of breath work? I can't tell you definitively if we are or if we're not. Yeah. But I know that intermittent hypoxic training. Yeah. So oxygen deprivation. Mm-hmm intermittently yeah just like with fasting or any other times types of intermittent training yeah has beneficial effect yeah yeah that makes sense yeah. so don't do it every hour of the day yeah. <laughs> and the yeah. amount when i when i put stories on my instagram with the pulse oximeter on and i would never actually do these types of go to these extremes with mm. clients but you know the amount of messages i get like, oh my gosh that that is a met call in a hospital and then yeah. is that you know, a hypoxic brain is a dying brain. It's like, okay, well, yeah. What I see is that when your body goes into that state of deprivation, then isn't it going to rebound the opposite way? Well, that's, yeah, and that's the interesting part of it. And it's, I don't know, there's far worse things we do to our bodies. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) But everything in moderation. Um, The the other thing in terms of the noise and what I was talking to an athlete who's a professional footballer, a few months ago and he was saying he's talking to me about Wim Hof mm. where if I had a dollar for every time someone says to me oh is it like Wim Hof what you're doing yeah I'm like, oh yeah. god no. it's but, so, but, so yeah. out there isn't yeah. it? everyone knows the name yes yeah. exactly and he has he's done a fantastic job in terms of making a breath mm. bringing breath work into a well-known space but no for everyone listening it's not like Wim Hof my methods <laughs> but he's saying that he does it before Again, mm. if we go back to the physiology that I talked about before in terms of, okay, if we have an athlete and they're over-breathing, mm-hmm. so which is exactly what the Wim Hof Method is, yeah. then you're offloading a Too whole much. lot of carbon dioxide, yeah. Yeah, which we know makes our breath blood cell hold on to oxygen so it's not released to the tissue. So from a performance point of view, it's a detriment to perform methods like that mm. pre-competition. So I think that, again, coming back to the knowledge and the education to athletes around... Yeah. Context. Yeah, context. And when, mm. you know, there is, there's so many different methods of mm. breath work or anything and yeah. just knowing when to do it, I think, and how to do it and all that is mm. an important part of it. Yeah. And I think that's probably where, yeah, in this day and age with social media and all of that, it is hard because there's so much to it. Yeah. But... I guess, yeah, and that's part of sort of why I started is that we just, I just want people to have one, like a source of trusted information yeah. about breath who they trust and know. Yeah. And you can differentiate. Yeah. You can actually point in the direction of this yeah. is when you do that, this is when you do this, this yeah. is when you do that. Yeah. 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 So good. And you're breathing anyway. Like it's one thing in terms of a neuroplasticity point of view where repetition and doing a lot of reps is extremely important in creating actual brain and physiological changes. Mm. It's the one thing we do all day, every day. We're Absolutely. doing it anyway. It may, you know, there's no harm in just changing how we do it to get a little bit of it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Love it. Love it so much. <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> I love lots of things, but I do love breath. Um, all right. So there are other forms of breathing. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got ecstatic and tantric breathing. Yeah. But I just wanted to bring in tantric real quick. I will try not to get so t- too sidetracked here. I will get so sidetracked. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very much, I, I liken it to the holotropic because then you're, you're using your breath to form certain um, chemicals, hormones, safety, movement of energy. Yeah. So you know, it, it's, it's powerful stuff. It's really powerful stuff. Yeah. Like you can, you can be using tantric to form a static feelings within the body like people yeah. orgasm from breathing yeah. right yeah <laughs> how good yeah. is that so good so good like yeah. just, just breathing i know it is so so powerful and i think that you know and yogis and everyone have been doing this type of work for so so long mm. but now you know western culture medicine whatever it is and again the rise of our access to information and a whole lot of it now things are coming into light mm-hmm. and it is it's so powerful and i just think that any little any, some, anything that gives someone that reconnects them to themselves in any way whether it's self-pleasure you know heart rate anxiety mental wellness yeah anything is going to be a you know benefit at this point we're in this real hustle mm, culture absolutely and i'm so here for the hustle culture as well i won't mm. i'm not shaming anyone who loves it but you have to balance it all out you have to yeah. be you know like working in sport i have seasons of hustle and seasons of steel and that's just sort of the nature of it and i work so hard during the week and during the winter and during the season but I also still respect the fact that I'm in my twenties and I party just as hard on weekends. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and you can do it. Yeah, and I own a breathwork business, but you literally can't get the breath out of my hands after <laughs> Saturday, and I don't feel sorry about it yeah. because anything that just makes someone feel more connected to them is important and it's necessary in this yeah. kind of time. It is a balance. Yeah, and I just I was thinking I said it to three clients just this morning. Just seems mm. the topic of today mm. is more being, less doing. Yes, you know. So we we can do, and we do lots anyway. We're yeah. always going to do, it, but we just do have to be within ourselves a yeah. lot more. Yeah, and again, breath work back into even with that as you mentioned the self pleasure. Yeah, you know, being more focused and connected to your body and grounded in your body, and breath yeah. work will bring you into that and enable yeah. you to actually feel the pleasure. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, in, you know, and yeah, and absolutely. And it is it's the, while it's something that's automatic and under unconscious control, mm. we st- it's the only function like it where we have the ability to then bring it to the cortical level and actually have conscious control of it. Yeah. And so in terms of our capacity to influence it, it's uh, we have the highest capacity to influence it and it's influence on heart rate and we know about heart rate. We know that heart rate and you know anxiety and all of that and mental well-being mental illness and so giving people power to you know empowering them to just have something to bring themselves back to i just think it's there's so much to it and athletes in particular they have mm-hmm. i think the stress is relative and you know pressure perceived pressure is relative to the individual what i perceive as high pressure mm-hmm. someone else might 
nothing twice about. Absolutely. That is such a true point. And so it's, yeah, it is. It's so, it's all. It's all context again, isn't it? Yeah. And what you get used to. What's your norm? Yeah. What's your baseline norm? Yeah. Some people think that, you know, running to two appointments in the day is chaotic. Yes. (laughs) Whereas, you know, some people think 20 appointments is just like, well, that's just my everyday life. That's my life. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. And it is. So it's just about balancing it out. And I think that it doesn't have to be hard as well. You know, there's so many programs out there and this and that. And it's like, you can want anything and you can find it and someone's selling a course on it or there's, you know, something for it. But it's just bringing, just centering yourself and whatever it is that it takes to get you to do that. Making it work. Yeah, and you just make it work. It doesn't need to be hard. It can You just work hard, rest when you feel like you need to, yeah. do things that make you feel good, don't do things that don't, mm. be around people who you love and make you lift you higher and yeah. distance yourself from people who don't. It's, yeah. I don't know. It just seems quite simple. Seems quite simple, yeah. but I think that you almost have to have times in your life where you you're almost forced to see perspective. You know, and it's, yeah, yeah. It's, not in the hard way. Yeah, to gain better clarity and better life later on. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. one thing in terms of I've got a few non-negotiables in my life, and n- noticing the beauty and boring things is one of them. And it's you know, mundane is mundane until hard shit happens mm-hmm. and hard stuff does happen and yeah. it's like I you know I go and catch up with my friends and I don't think twice about it until I'm at the hospital saying goodbye before they're turning off life support, life support. Yeah. you know people play they feel like footy training is sucking the life out of them until they've had one too many concussions and now can't play contact sport ever again yeah. or my parents are annoying me fuck dad mum stop messaging me and hassling me until you lose one of them and then all of a sudden all you want is an annoying message from your dad. Yeah. And it's like you can't wait and nor should we wait for times like that mm. to recognise or be, you know, be. Absolutely. Yeah. The appreciation grounded. and gratitude yeah. to what you actually have in your life yeah. or choose how you want to have your life. And yeah. if it's not serving you well mm. and you don't think it's going to be serving you well, then you have to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I think as well, I'm, I say this quite often and I really hope that I don't offend people when I say it, but <laughs> I am, I have, you know, so much space for mental health, mental well-being, mental illness, all of that. Mm. And I recognise that it is a massive issue at the moment and it's rising. Yeah. But the more we focus on mental ill health without increasing stress resilience or resilience at the same time mm-hmm. we are just fighting we're going to be fighting this uphill battle and so yeah. and like we are such a medicated overweight addicted fucked up society and it's like you can do and again going back to the whole quick fix instant gratification kind mm-hmm. of society hustle bustle that we live in mm-hmm. i could eat well and exercise and have healthy habits or I could go and get like what's actually mm. I could meditate or I could have two valleys. It's so yeah you know and it's just but I think that we need to we need to be educated in that and there's no shame in doing either of those things also. But we I feel yeah <laughs> someone please life was like me exercise is taking so long. <laughs> but we <laughs> You know, I think that in terms of the whole self-worth type thing and feeling good as we go back to with the breath, feeling good in yourself, we need to make decisions that align with what we value. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter what you value. It yeah. just do act in a way that aligns with that and then 
you just, again, from a neuro point of view, every time you make decisions that align with you like that, you build trust in yourself. Self-worth is there and you're not, you know, creating this. Yeah. No, I think it's fantastic. (laughs) I think I love it. I love every second of that. but i don't want to miss an important part yes. for everyone though yes. as um like we'll, we'll completely turn back around again yeah into what what it looks like to work with you yes and then where to find you and all that sort of stuff yes um okay so what it looks like to work with me at the moment um claremont football club have a grand final tomorrow freaking excited about it um people are listening to this we have a good result but who knows um so at the moment we i'm sort of changing how i do things i was finding that a i was saying the same thing from an education point of view Mm -hmm. to a whole lot of athletes Mm -hmm. and spending too much time on that stuff and not enough time on the stuff that i think that they will really benefit from especially when i can put them together athletes together and they compete with each other and they get a hell of a lot more out of it Mm -hmm. so at this point I have I'm working still with a few clients one-on-one I sort of set a few that I've been working with for a while the how things will be looking from now is planning to launch a couple of classes one a functional movement sort of a mobility Pilates hybrid with a breath control focus so imagine a very sweaty very hot ideally heated room workout only breathing through your nose and (laughs) feeling like you're going to die but getting really you know getting really sweaty yeah getting really sweaty (laughs) looking good (laughs) so i'm aiming for that to initially just be a pop-up sort of um class over the summer months into leading into the winter next year so there's that one co2 tolerance um, training in the pool so that'll be a pool based class and there are a few guys have seen you know the videos that i have yeah. weights under the underwater and all yeah. that more just to add a little bit of something just something different for people mm-hmm. if they want to increase their two tolerance they can do it on land doesn't have to be in water um but yeah so that just a fun different type of training cool. that i absolutely believe is beneficial um and then the and currently just working for on a a sort of signature program which is a high performance breath course coaching program so that will have online or audio modules um it'll be limited intake and either once or twice a year i haven't quite decided yet um (laughs) but so yeah so online or audio content modules so they get all of the education all of the science everything should they want it but they also get weekly sessions with me and so that by the end of it in those sessions, that'll all, that's where it'll all be individualised um, and we'll go through the stuff that is actually relevant for them. Some yeah. things aren't relevant. Yeah. Some things, you know, sometimes I don't need to do certain types of breath enhancement training with Absolutely. a particular athlete and I won't waste their time in doing it. They yeah. can know that it's there, but it's, you know, we work on what we can achieve now. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and so that then by the end of it, they will have a fully individualised breath enhancement training program that's very specific to them, their goals, and they'll know how to implement it and they can keep it implementing it moving that's forward. Awesome. That's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. so cool. Um, so so easy. Yeah. And then the information's there. And again, yeah. they're empowered by the information they've yeah. learned and they can use it when they need to. Yes, yeah. exactly. And yeah. it does. It goes back to the, I think, the you know, athletes, and I think it's actually moving in the right direction now. Mm. Athletes becoming a little bit more curious in terms of, okay, yeah. yes, there are certain 
parts of high performance that you need to tick off from an injury prevention point of view, training and actually just skill performance point of view, all of that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and then I think that they need to be a little, you know, they need to be able to find what works for them, know that the inf- know where the information is should they want it. And, and then, a curiosity. I think yeah. the, the one positive thing about social media and those types of yes. platforms is that there's exposure to it, right? Absolutely. Otherwise they wouldn't know about it yeah. otherwise. Exactly. And so that exposure and then it creates interest and curiosity and they're like, oh, what would that be like? And that athlete's doing it in that part of the world or that thing yeah. and that, how would that apply to me? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I honestly believe I with every single part of me that breath enhancement training will grow in popularity and high performance. Mm. There is yeah. no doubt in my mind and I'm the world's biggest sceptic Yes. If there's not five million journal journal articles on it, don't even bring it to me. But yeah, the you know, a good way to be. Yeah, and yeah. I think healthy skepticism you need to be like that, but you also equally have to be open minded to the trends and the way things are heading, and appreciate the fact that science takes a long time to catch up. Yeah, and yeah, yeah no, if if science was quick, everyone would be doing PhDs and have doctorates and absolutely this and that. But um, absolutely, yeah, I think just well, having yeah, giving athletes a little bit more power in terms of what they know and can consume, you know, where they can go with their training. If they don't feel like something is of benefit to them, use Pilates for, for example. And I'm a clinical Pilates instructor, <laughs> so I love Pilates. But if they don't feel like something is individually relevant for them, it will seem like another chore and another thing that they have to do. We don't need such rigid, like, yes, we need rigid training schedules, but and we need to lift heavy weights, but... I still, I do. I think that high performance is moving away from mm-hmm. rigidity and lifting heavy stuff and doing two K time trials. Yeah, and yeah, it should be more fluid yeah. in its approach. It's a bit, it's a bit boring, really. When you think about it's it, so boring. Like, and it's like everyone's doing the same thing. What, yeah, exactly. What, different to the whole other, the rest of the competition. Why would you want to be like everyone else? Yeah, let's spice it Wait, up. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely, let's yeah. spice it up. <laughs> yeah, remember the marching box side, girls. Yeah. Never breathe through your mouth again. Tell me where we find you. Tell me oh where. Oh my god. Um, you can find me. <laughs> They're all coming for you now. I know pornhub.com now. No, you can find me at the Breath Society on Instagram. Yeah. Um, personal account Chloe with six E's Phelps. Um, www.thebreathsociety.com or email hello at thebreathsociety.com. Awesome. All right, and we'll tag all that stuff in here as well in the show notes. It's been it's been spiced up. It's been <laughs> fantastic. Thank you so it's much fast. for coming on. <laughs> no problem. And thank you very much. Oh, pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Revital Health Podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Revital Health, as well as our website, revitalhealth.com.au, for upcoming podcasts, workshops, and speaking events. Find out about specials happening in the clinic and all the show notes and links mentioned in the podcast. Please remember that this information discussed here is general information and it is not intended to diagnose or treat individuals. Please speak to your healthcare professional before embarking on any new treatments, lifestyle changes, medicines or supplementation to assess your suitability. Have a wonderful day and we'll see you again soon.